what an honor it is to join all of you here. My colleague Claudia is battling cancer. She's led many of the trips you have taken with us. So uh, she sends her greeting and gratitude because many of the friends like Artie and all of you, uh, Dr. Kathy, have told her they're praying for her. So I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, our dear sister Claudia is grateful to all of you. So without further ado, let me open our time with a word of prayer. And what a blessing it is and the sacred responsibility to share God's word with you. Let's pray. Holy Father, may you quiet our spirit at this time. I ask that you use me as an empty vessel, that through me your word is proclaimed unashamedly. Give me the boldness to say what you want the church to hear, myself included. We need you, Lord, for this journey. And as our time together comes to a close today, may everything that takes place as a result of this focus on global missions, certainly we are still involved locally, bring many souls into the kingdom, and that you'll ultimately receive honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I began earlier uh, in the early service saying that I stand before you as an expensive investment of collective hands. And my prayer as a result of what I'm sharing with you now in this final service is for you to be able to connect the spiritual dots as to everything that is happening in your life. I think it's Dr. John Piper that said, God does 10,000 things. We only see two with our limited, with our abilities that is often limited. So everything you go through has not caught God by surprise. And at the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus wanted the disciples to carry on the mission of making Christ known to the ends of the earth. So the mission of God is to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus puts it this way. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Jesus says he's had gotten all authority in heaven and on earth. Paul refers to this description of the authoritative Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. He said, therefore God the Father has also highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the authoritative Jesus that is giving us the great commission. And then he goes on to give another one in Acts 1.8. Before he ascended to heaven, he says, But you will receive power when Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There are people that insist that this Acts 1.8 means, well, we have a lot of unsaved people right here too. Let's just focus on that. That means we are supposed to make Christ known sequentially. Once people get saved here in Kansas City, then we can think about the rest of the world. If that was the posture of these disciples, the gospel wouldn't have gone to us. He wanted this to be done simultaneously. 
A percentage of the giving of this church is going directly toward the local compassion as well as global compassion. We have to do both. It's important that we understand that. The banner, the anthem of this local church is we exist to make Christ known to the ends of the earth. God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for the like of us. This gospel of the good news has come to us at a cost. It leads me to now talk about the message of hope needs to be delivered through compassion and kindness. It is Charles Spurgeon who says, you want to preach the gospel to a homeless, wrap it in a sandwich. Conversely, if you're going to have a party with your friends and you want to do things for yourself, wrap it in a gospel. Meaning, when you're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, everything about your life is to display your surrendered life to him. There's no such a thing as, well, this is my sacred life. This is the secular life. So when Jesus was concluding the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many people will say to me that day, I cast out demons in your name. I have prophesied in your name. I've done many wonders in your name. And then he drops this stunning statement in Matthew 7, 23. He said, but I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You profess that you believe in Jesus Christ. But behind closed doors, the practice of your life, you're as mean as a junkyard dog. God is not impressed that we quote and we post social on our social media platform about Jesus. He's not in heaven. So boy, isn't that nice that John 3.16s have gone viral? He wants us to live it out. So in John 14.6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then he drops the statement of John 14.21. Whoever has my commandment and obeys them, it is he that loves me. He that loves me will be loved by my Father. How to love him and will manifest myself to him. You want the manifestation of Jesus Christ? May we reconcile our conduct with these biblical convictions. It's not enough to discuss it. It's not enough to debate it. It's not enough to display a bumper stick on our car. I love Jesus. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. <laughs> what does that mean? My prayer is, brothers, we pray, Lord, have that spiritual sanitation. We want to live these biblical teachings. I'd like to take you now to the compassion has an important component. That's that proverbial wrap the gospel in the sandwich that Charles Spurgeon was telling the people. Please turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. It's a very familiar passage. It's a very familiar story. But here's what I'd like for you to see. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'll begin the reading. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound out his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's interesting, isn't it? That the expert in the Mosaic laws came. He just wanted to pick a fight. Just wanted to test Jesus. So his question, although it was a correct question, what will I do to inherit eternal life? You see, every single one of us sitting in this sanctuary and those who are watching online, we all have expiration date. It's not like you have a QR code that can scan and say, you know what? You have a couple of years left in the balance of your life. Hebrews 9.27 said, it is appointed unto men once to die. Every single one of us have an appointment that this life is going to come to an end. I know there are a lot of people that say, well, the new 50 is 30. Are you kidding me? You give yourself a discount. So now you think that you're no longer 50 because, you know, the new 50 is 30. What are you going to do when you get up and all those knees and (laughs) forgive me. (laughs) Teach us to number our days so that we may gain wisdom. That's what Psalm 90 verse 12 is saying. I am 54 years old. You know what that means? I have more years behind me that I have in front of me. And I'm not going to play games with life. So when the expert in Mosaic laws asked Jesus these questions, Jesus asked him, what's written in the law? Because he knew that that guy is very well versed in the Mosaic laws. More than 600 of them. He didn't even have to pull a Bible. He recited it on spot. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. You love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Just like that. And then he quoted Leviticus 19.18b. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But it's interesting that he says, so who is my neighbor? Are we always looking for loopholes on to how we can apply that which God is asking us? I wanted to juxtapose what Jesus has done when I walk through Matthew 28, 18 through 20. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not some, all that I have commanded you. So it's an injunction from the creator of the universe. Here, the expert in the Mosaic laws, he's looking for argument. Going on social media, who's saying the wrong thing so that I'll let him know my biblical position. And I'm not against you putting your biblical positions on any social media. I'm just trying to say to you, brothers and sisters, may we reconcile our behavior with these biblical teachings, lest we be considered hypocrites. So instead of Jesus giving him another definition to memorize, He gave him the description of a neighbor. In his mind, 
he probably has a separate definition about who the neighbor is. Let's listen in to that conversation. So Jesus gave him a story. 75% of Jesus' teaching is in storytelling. There's something about story. When it's told, you will never forget it. He said, there's a man that left Jerusalem on the way to Jericho. He got caught by thieves. Ordinary human interaction and activities. When that guy left Jerusalem, 3,500 feet above sea level, making his way to Jericho, he wasn't planning on falling on hands of thieves. The pathology of thieves, the proclivity of thieves, the patterns of thieves is that they don't discriminate. A thief will rob his grandmother. A thief will shamelessly steal from somebody on social security. A thief will rob somebody who is disabled. A thief will break into this church and steal these microphones and speakers that we have. Thieves don't discriminate. Cancer does not send you a notification. So you know what? Since you have graduation coming next May, we will skip your house and come back in a couple of years. Ordinary visit at the doctors, you're told to go home and get your house in order because the cancer has gone too far. You don't believe me? Go to any oncology of any hospitals in the United States. Maybe watch St. Jude's Hospital's commercial. Children, that's the brokenness of this world that we live in. So this guy that left Jerusalem on the way to Jericho, he wasn't planning on falling hands of thieves, but life happened. As a matter of fact, insurance companies in the United States said that every 16 seconds something is stolen in this country. So thieves are always part of our lives. So here is a guy in the hands of thieves. Three people saw him. The first one was a priest, a man of God. He saw this man and passed by. The second one, a Levite, who's basically like the assistant to the pastor. He too came to the site, saw this man, perhaps have gone closer, said, boy, things have gotten so dangerous around here, isn't it? And passed by and didn't do anything. And of all people, the third one is a Samaritan. In John chapter 4, verse 9, Jesus is asking the Samaritan woman for water at the water well. That woman told him and said, you know what? Why are you asking water of me? Samaritans and Jews do not have any dealings. Brothers and sisters, many of us who insist on the fact that, well, my children are my everything, praise God. I'm just going to do for them. You live long enough, you'll realize that you're not always going to be there when your children are in trouble. I know we live in a safe neighborhood, we drive a safe car, but let me tell you something, by a twist of circumstances, every single one of us sitting in this sanctuary, or those watching online, we can find ourselves in a perilous situation. Even in a nice neighborhood. Dr. Falwell used to say, you're in trouble, you just got out of trouble, or you're about to get in trouble. Such is life. I love flying. Every time you get in that tin can, you sit down, they come and say, put that seat belt on. Straighten the back of that you know, car seat. Whether you're sitting in first class or you're not all a seat, whatever that may be, they know turbulence is not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So when you enter that vessel, they treat every moment on board that airplane with the same security thought. Turbulence is not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So therefore, as you read the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, it would behoove us to keep in mind it could be us in the hands of those thieves. And so it's a Samaritan that made the decision to go to him, took care of him with his first aid kit, the oil and wine. And it's interesting that look at what he did. He went to him, bound up his wounds. It says plural, wounds, because he sustained so much beating in the hands of those thieves. Pour on oil. 
to disinfect the wound and oil to mollify it. Then he set him on his own animal. He did not ask him, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Methodist? You know, we only help our own. That definition of neighbor, if it's not explained carefully, people will find a loophole, an excuse to not help somebody else because you're not one of us. To the Samaritan man, it's immaterial. Somebody's surpassing value, which is the image bearer of God, is in trouble. That's all that mattered to him. Picked him up on his own, put him on his own animal, take him to a hotel, and spends the day taking care of a guy who's unrelated to him. And it goes on to say that the next day, which meant all night he was taking care of that guy, checking on him. He goes to pay the hotel bills. He said, the guy that I brought yesterday, he's still here. I'm not only paying for my hotel bills, I'm giving you additional money for you to take care of him. He wants to extend the same care he had been given to this man who is unrelated to him. But then he gives the following instruction. Should you incur additional expenses associated with the care of this guy, what if his fever spiked? Charge it to my account. When I come back, I will be the one to pay for it. I would love to sit at this guy's dinner table when he goes home alive. What do you think he's going to tell his family members? What happened? Got caught by thieves. They beat me so fast, everything tore away, and I was laying on that road to die. Three people came. The first one was a priest. I thought he was the pastor in our town. Passed by. The second one was a Levite. He too didn't do anything about it. And of all people, it's a Samaritan. It's not something that took care of me. And he said, do not charge it to his account. Charge it to my own account. So if somebody is saying, well, you know, I don't believe in uh, encouraging dependency, you know. You pray to God that you're not in serious trouble. Somebody will come and say, oh, I see the kind of car that you're driving. You don't need help. I'll just go on. When I flew in yesterday, I just wanted to, you know, check the lay of the land. There's a, a water tower here, and I drove by, and I was looking at the side that I can take a picture without the sun's glare. And somebody was driving, pulled over, said, do you need a ride? Because he saw the car was a bit far from where I was walking to be able to take a picture. It made an impression on me. He wanted to know, was I okay? Because the car is over there and I'm trying to walk around, maybe seeking network on the phone. I said, God, I'm about to preach that message tomorrow and you want me to experience that. Live your life in such a way that if somebody's in trouble, your legacy is that of the, the good Samaritan. They said, because you gave, I can face tomorrow. Because of what you did, my life has been changed, the trajectory of my life. That is what Jesus wants us to take away from this. And the expert in the Mosaic laws. How is it that you can go to church Sunday after Sunday, podcast after podcast, conferences and pastors and books? And it's like, so who's my neighbor? Your vertical relationship with God has to have implications in your horizontal relationship with others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Matthew 6, 12. To whom much is given, much is required. 
That is what is at stake, brothers and sisters. We're not here into this fire insurance selling business to get people to change their eternal address from eternal hell to eternal heaven. Jesus taught us prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our desire is that God's will is going to be done in all our lives. Stewardship of everything that we have. And if we do that, somebody's going to say, I matter that much to God. We know our history together. You could have avoided me and led me by that road to be eaten by coyotes or something. And you stop. All of this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know what? Can you tell me more about this Jesus? And then you can say, but God demonstrated his own love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, I haven't got my act together. Christ died for us. And I want to repent. To give my life to him. Compassion softens people's heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't, it's not in shouting. It's not in a debate like this expert in Mosaic law is doing in the passage of Luke chapter 10 verse 25 through 37. So let me just unpack this. Go and do likewise. Because Jesus asked him, so the three people, which one proved, proved to be a good neighbor? He said, the one who showed mercy. Here's what it means. Compassion is costly. Compassion is inconvenient. Because we saw the guy had to pay out of his own pocket to help somebody else. You can't just say that you're compassionate and say, you know what? It's just about my own family. Compassion is disruptive. The Samaritan's travel plan was disrupted because of the need of that guy. The hotel is not a hospital. They're not set up to take care of injured travelers. I mean, they have the bed and the breakfast and the food, but they're not set up to take care of an injured passenger. But the Samaritan has given money, has made provision to say, should you need to hire a nurse from the village to take care of this guy? Do it on my own dime. Because the surpassing value of human life that matters to God, they are image bearer. It was in Genesis 1.26 that God said, let us create men in our image and in our likeness. Image bearer. That's what should override our decision. Lord Jesus, it's another human being. None of us know how our story will end. And I remember July 1st, 1997, Princess Diana turned 36. Whether you're a princess or a pauper, listen to this testimony or this story. She flew to Paris, checked into the five-star hotel at Ritz-Carlton, as our sisters and mothers always do. She hasn't even taken off her shoes. And at that time, she has that new cell phone. She called her two sons back in the UK. It was Prince William who answered first. He was not on the phone too long with his mom. Princess Diana. He said, Mom, our cousins are here. I got to go play. He gave the phone to his 12-year-old Prince Harry. Prince Harry picked up the phone. Mom, just like William told you, our cousins are here. Everything okay in France? Talk to you later. Hung up the phone. Two hours after that incoming phone call from the city of romance, Princess Diana was killed in a tunnel in Paris in the black Mercedes Benz. The French authorities made another phone call, this time to the Buckingham Palace, notifying the royal family about what has just happened to Princess Diana. Did you know that it took over an hour and 20 minutes to get Princess Diana's body from the site of that accident in that tunnel? And I've visited France multiple times, so I've visited that site. 
The site of the hospital from where the accident happened is five kilometers or three miles, but it took an hour and 20 minutes to get the body of Princess Diana to the hospital. There was a 33-year-old doctor at that hospital. He got a phone call from his boss telling him an important 36-year-old woman is on the way to the hospital. Take good care of her. They didn't tell him that it was Princess Diana. So everybody was ready. As some of you who are in the medical field, Princess Diana was brought. And that 33-year-old doctor has taken care of Princess Diana and immediately found out that it was Princess Diana because by then all the high flutes are converging to the hospital to try to do what they can say. Over an hour of them trying to resuscitate her unsuccessfully because she had this massive internal bleeding. They couldn't fly the royal doctors from England quickly enough to Paris. The point that I'm trying to make is none of us know how our story will end. Like that happened to Princess Diana. Prince Harry said, I got married at the age of 36. That was the age my mother was when she died. So when we look at this story that the Bible is teaching us, it's easy to look at it and say, boy, I just go on to with my life. But that's not what is at stake, brothers and sisters. It is my prayer. You see God's hand in your life. In such a way that you will be a good steward, not just to your children, because if you're in trouble, you would want somebody to say, wait just a minute, not on my watch. I do not want it on my conscience that I saw a human being, but I didn't want anything to do because of my own proclivity not to want anything to do with them. That good news of the gospel have gotten to me in the Central African Republic at a cost. The map of Africa that is shown there for you to see, my, I was born in the Central African Republic. Africa is three times the size of contingent to the United States. Take the map of America three times, flip it. That's the size of, the, of Africa. To give you numbers, it's 3.7 million square miles. That's the, the size of the United States. Africa is more than 12 million square miles. That's why it's four times larger than the United States. 1.2 million people living there. The gospel got to Central African Republic because of William Haas. He was a pastor who was born in Menden, Michigan. His first wife, Alta. At the time he was pastoring this church, they had two daughters. He said, Lord, any land but Africa, I'll go anywhere but Africa because of issue of security. Not knowing those two daughters died right here in the United States. His wife, Alta, died of tuberculosis right here in the United States. He said, that's it. I thought that security was only here in the United States. Until my wife died, that's it. It arrested him out of his pride. William Haas is the founder of the organization that sent my mother-in-law, May Allen, to Africa as a missionary. And here's another thing. He met another woman by the name of Genevieve. And the woman that he got married to decided to go with him to Africa as a missionary. They only have one son by the name of Billy. And when he was there, he caught fever and he too died in the village where I was born. He translated the entire New Testament in the native language of Central African Republic. I'd like to read a portion of what he taught the people. John 3.16, we sung it in that song. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have nearly one billion people on the planet who speak fluently French. If they were to hear John 3.16 and not French, what would that be? Jean chapitre 3, verset 16, car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son Fils unique afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. 
And in my native language, Sango, it says, that's what William Haas translated. When William Haas was done translating this, he died, and he died in a village where I was born. The name of the province is called Bangasu. There's a picture of the boulder where they buried him and just put a sign there. He died May 28, 1924. My birth certificate mentioned the name Bangasu. That's where William Haas, the American missionary, a former pastor, went to the village where I was born to bring the good news of the gospel. That's what brought me here. It is not because of my brain that I stand before you, brothers and sisters. The Lord has used ordinary people. That's what I meant when I said that I stand here as an expensive investment of collective hands. Different people are pouring into my life for me to be here. The local church's responsibility is that the preaching of the word of God to the people in the pews is so that you'll hit the pavement of life, life as we know it, so that somebody will say the author of this book has gotten you to come and find people like me. I want to surrender my life to him. Wrap in compassion. Not arrogance. My parents are the second generation of believers saved under the work of missionaries. So I was raised by what William has, the fruit of the work that he has done. My dad, Joseph, said, Cyrus, people ask you, what are you going to do with your education? And honestly, I often say, well, you don't want to be a doctor, lawyer, mechanics, pilot. He said, the second part of that equation is this. What has your education done to you? What kind of a person have you become as a result of the formal training that you received? You have a few dollars to your name. It is only but by the grace of God. We didn't fill up an application to be born here in the United States, by the way. It's not like, you know, you know what, God? Africa is a little rough. Let me just be born here in Kansas City. That's much better. You see how it is easy to forget that it's only the hands of God that has made these things possible to us. So my dad doesn't want me to forget. It's God. My mother, Eugenie, has struggled to raise 12 children. Didn't finish high school. But she has experientially the love of God that is amazing. She challenged me under the discipleship that she had. She says, Cyrus, if you abuse any woman, you've abused me personally, irrespective of her socioeconomic background, her age, the color of her skin, or her country of origin. I am a mother, I am a woman, and I'm somebody else's daughter. She was saying that because in the culture where I am from, polygamy is permitted. Men can have multiple uh, mistresses. They call it side dishes, and they, they call it you know, spare tires. My mother said, you know, I'm not going to participate in breeding dogs. Because you know how people say, well, men are dogs. They just can't help themselves. My mother, Eugenie, who was saved under the work of those missionaries, said, not on my watch. I'm not going to participate in breeding dogs. I do not want my sons to see themselves as God's gift to women. I want to send my sons to my sisters out there. And say, so when I met with Jesus, the behavior of my sons should honor him. That is what is at stake. Those are the benefits of becoming Christ followers by making disciples of all nations. Two missionaries have gone back to Central African Republic. May Allen and Edie Witherspoon, you would think that the death of William Haas will scare them for going, but they decided to go. The next picture shows a small local church, Struthers Baptist Tabernacle at the corner of 4th and Elm, preached the uncompromising gospel of Jesus Christ. May Allen was saved under that local church, but she was sent to Africa as a medical missionary. After working there for 25 years, an African mother gave birth and hemorrhaged to death. Maternal mortality rate in many of these villages is quite high. One in 27 women that goes to hospital to deliver a baby will not walk out of their life. In the United States, it's one in 4,800. You don't hear of a mother going to a hospital to deliver and dying because of the medical infrastructure that we have in this land. 
So Mayalan is now presented this two-hour-old orphan whose mother has died. And guess what? James 1.22 says that let us not be hearers of the word but doers. But then he says in James 1.25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but doers of the works, this one will be blessed in what he does. But James then gives us that, James 1.27, religion that is pleasing to God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Mayalan has become the surrogate mother that God wanted for her. Because God said in Isaiah 68, 5, that he is the father to the fatherless. He is the husband to the widows. So Julie is now being cared by a mother who doesn't look anything like her, but it was only on the authority of the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the next picture is simply this. My wife, Julie, in whom I'm well pleased. The orphan that May Allen took care of many years ago. That's my wife. Is it possible that you can change the trajectory of somebody else's life? Because you showed up like the Samaritan man. You said, not on my watch. Perhaps you will send me my wife out of your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has blessed Juliana with three children. Becky, 33. Michael, 27. And our youngest daughter, 10 years old. Our youngest daughter, Tuesday, September 2nd, 2008. I came back from work in Forest, Virginia, our daughter Irene knocked on the door, asked permission of me to go swim at a friend's house. Moments later, that kid drowned from a swimming pool accident. Had it not been for the word of God, I would have lost my mind. Because the biblical corpus in my hand, from Genesis to Revelation, I am not the first, nor will I be the last to outlive my children. King David has buried a son. Solomon is not the first. By Bathsheba, there was a brother that was also dead. He buried. Job has buried seven sons and three daughters. The song that we sing, he gives and takes away. My heart was choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you realize that the lyrics of that song was not written by Matt and his wife? Matt Redman did not write that. He borrowed those words from a father, Job, who was about to have the funeral of seven sons and three daughters. Not realizing that Satan had had a conversation with God in Job 1 11. He said, stretch out your hand. Take away everything that he owned. And surely he will curse you to your face. My mother Eugenie says, Cyrus, do not curse God to his face. Irene is only a gift. Do not enthrone your child and then tell God, how dare you allow that to happen. When you look at the biblical data, you will find that you're not the first nor will be the last. That's why you depend on God to say, God, these are only gifts. And I live to honor you with them. We're now grandparents. Had I lost my mind, I wouldn't have been able to be able to see those grandsons. But I want to conclude with a couple of telling stories. The church that sent May Allen to Africa was struggling, almost closed its doors. I stood up at a business meeting and they said, we want to sell the church because the people in the community of Struthers where this church is located, they want nothing to do with the church. The average faithful going church member in the United States goes to church once a month. God has given us 52 Sundays and we go to church once a month until we find out something terrible is happening. He said, get, get the prayer chain going, do something. So I got up and I told him, I said, we stand here as beneficiaries of this local church that supported financially, prayerfully, my mother-in-law, Marilyn. That's how she was able to adopt this orphan in the middle of the African continent that has become my wife. 
So I said, Cyrus, so what are you going to do about it? Since you made such a compelling case. I said, well, I've got to make a fool of myself. You know, I benefited from what God has done. They voted that I become the pastor of that church, the Sam Allen to Africa. May thought she was taking care of an orphan in the middle of the African continent many years ago, not realizing that by her faithfulness, God was using her to raise her own pastor's wife. I didn't go into ministry as far as wanting to be a pastor. I studied law. I wanted to fight for justice. I want to be known as the chief justice of our Supreme Court. But the Lord arrested me out of my pride. He said, Cyrus, you think you're going to change society from the bench? There's something about Jesus Christ setting up housekeeping in people's heart. The vilest offender that truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. That's why I decided, that's it, Lord. I'm going to put my life into ministry. And because of that, I became the pastor of the church that sent me Allen to Africa. Because I benefited from what God has done as a result of a one Sunday like this, insisting that we remember we give for local, we give for global simultaneously. I serve on pastoral staff in Northern Virginia over a local church that had more than 110 nationalities. And I challenge every single one of them. You didn't just come to the United States to get education, get married, buy a house, take pictures, post on social media, and die. Wouldn't that be a waste of God's kingdom resources? So here's the deal. When May Allen raised those weak hands several years ago, she said, God, can you do something with my life? God is not looking for superheroes. Ordinary people in this sanctuary and those online, just make yourself available to God. Say, Lord, can you do something with this in my inadequacies and imperfections? And I'll move out of the way and let you receive honor and glory. Perhaps another Julie is going to be a beneficiary of that. Here's the last pictures I want you to see. I juxtapose these two pictures together. May Allen taking care of Julie in the middle of the African continent and Julie taking care of May Allen. May had a stroke and was taken to the Lynchburg General Hospital. The doctor walked in and said, May, if you become incapacitated, who has the power of attorney? She wiggled the other hand and pointed at my wife, Julie, said, my daughter will take care of it. I took my phone, I took a picture, and I was stunned. I said, look at this. When Julie was in trouble, it was on behalf of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that James 1.27 was demonstrated to her. Now the table is turned. May is in trouble. She is now saying, my daughter will take care of me. Let that picture land on you, brothers and sisters. May is now resting on the shoulders of the daughter that she raised in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in the middle of the African continent. So Julie took care of her mother in her declining years. And it was in 2013 that we laid her to rest in Lynchburg, Virginia. I officiated the funeral at Thomas Road Baptist Church, the church I attended in Lynchburg. And I said to them, it is because of the faithfulness of a local church. That's why I got to witness this. I wanted you to hear these things for two reasons. I am not just trying to tell you my story. Jesus tells stories to help us see the message of the gospel. I hope I set you ablaze. I get excited about this because I'm the product of somebody who took compassion seriously. I thank God for a local church and your church all of you who are coming faithfully, perhaps your story is going to be written that because you gave, I can face tomorrow. Because you prayed, I can face tomorrow. And I can see my Lord and Savior. Our children are nothing but a gift from God. So my decision has been made. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. I will bury a child, no turning back because Jesus is worthy. So on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. My prayer for our time today is I have done my job by God's grace passionately 
letting you know how God can use the like of us in our inadequacies and imperfections to connect the spiritual dots of how we can join him in the providential work that he's doing to bring people salvation to Jesus Christ. It's not just about your family. One day, somebody will say, because you live, because you gave, I can face tomorrow. That's my prayer for you. So as to the death of my daughter, people ask me, how are you doing, Cyrus? I said, it is well with my soul because I serve a living God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he has done for Job, he has done for me. That's why I'm able to stand before you and give this message with passion. Would you please do me a favor and rise? I know there's somebody in this room who probably was impacted by what I share, but let me pray over you that as I part ways to go back to Virginia, may what God has done in my life simply be a reminder to you. Take your brokenness to him. Say, God, if you can do something with Cyrus and Julie's life like that, can you do the same for me? I know he is able to do it. Father, we all have stood on our feet as a sign of honor and respect to who you are. I thank you for the pastoral staff and the entire team of this church, everyone that have well received and cared for me during this weekend. I have done what you have given me as a task to share your faithfulness through the hands and feet of your people. I want to move out of the way, Holy Father. And if there's somebody in this room that has lost a loved one out of pain, may they know you are still available to them. Would you please minister to where wounds are very, very raw? But ultimately, may Journey Church International be a place where lives will be transformed for eternity and that the trajectory of lives will be impacted because we have given, we have gone, and we have been participating in this work right here. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.